0: Hello, how are you? It's episode 55 of Grow Yourself Up, and today I am joined by Anna Butcher. So Anna is a counseling psychologist specializing in perinatal psychology and the experience of motherhood. She came to the field of perinatal psychology after becoming a mother herself and becoming fascinated by the magnitude of the process, which is um, often too simplified and a bit misunderstood. Anna's is a lover of psychoanalytic theory and practice for its richness in exploring early life experiences, relationships with caregivers, and what it is to be a person. She loves marrying these ideas with her newfound enthusiasm for the journey into and the process of becoming a mother. She's an advocate for speaking about the darker sides and emotions of motherhood, which psychoanalytic theory give voice to. Anna taught and trained psychologist for 10 years and teaching remains a passion of hers. She's trained in perinatal and infant mental health, as well as newborn behavioral observation and watch, wait and wonder, which is a parent-infant psychotherapy approach. She runs monthly support groups for mums in Amersham in Buckinghamshire, which is in the UK. And you can find her on Instagram at mums and microwaved tea. I love her um, handle on Instagram, the Mums and Microwave Tea, because I am a mum who loves tea and um, especially the caffeinated version. So, English breakfast tea is like one of my sanity drinks. I only drink basically tea and water. And so those, so, and often I microwave my tea because I don't manage to drink a hot cup of tea. I do like, um, some herbal teas, but, and sometimes I think I should give up caffeine, but at that moment, well, at this point in my life, I do not have the capacity to do that. So anyway, I love that handle. And, um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's dive in. Um, yes. Yeah, so hi, I'm Anna. I, yes. I'm a counseling psychologist. Um, I've been
1: practicing now for, well, since qualifying, uh, about 15 years and I, In recent years came to specialise more in perinatal psychology and some of the aspects of motherhood since becoming a mother myself because my own experience very much caused me to open my eyes and sort of take stock of a lot of what was going on for me. And I just became extremely uh, curious and passionate uh, about supporting other mothers who might be going through some of the similar things that I went through. Um...
2: In terms of my path to motherhood. Well, tell us. That's so interesting. That's, that's like the interesting, but tell us about what are some of the things that you went through? Oh, well, I
1: think probably to put it very broadly to begin with discovering and being confronted with aspects of myself that I didn't know existed or perhaps did, but I was, you know, pre-children able to not look at those, but being faced with my young and girls, I have girls. Uh, they're eight and four, and they're incredibly strong-minded, strong-willed, feisty in many ways. I wasn't uh, able to shelve those aspects of myself as freely as I could pre-pre motherhood. So I think I'm talking how. Intolerant of some of their emotions. I, I found myself to be how angry I could get. Um, never thought of myself like that. Always thought I would be incredibly maternal. Um, because I used to, uh, look after my niece a great deal before I had children. When my first niece came along, you know, I absolutely doted on her. I was always the first to volunteer looking after her from when she was a newborn. You know, I would be running up the steps the train station steps to get to her flat to scoop her into my arms and the pride i felt at you know being the one to put her down for her naps and take her to the playgroups and feed her you know this you know that sense of sort of wow my brother and his wife are entrusting me with with her and my care you know from sort of day dot and how amazing for them like what a beautiful village you
2: contributed to
1: I, and I think, I think that's also the, yes, you're right. The pride I took in that and being able to give that to them, because I remember one day when I was going to go and look after my niece, my brother sent me a message and he said, do you think you could take her out for a walk? Um, because, um, I won't say any names, but my wife, she she could, she really needs to sleep. Of course, this was all alien to me, you know, not being a mother myself. I was like, yeah sure that's fine if she needs to sleep I'm fine and so I took my niece out for a two-hour walk in the pram uh, around West London and again it was just no hardship for me whatsoever it was just a joy and when I came back my sister-in-law said she said that was sublime and again to me it didn't even register why it should feel so sublime because all I'd done was go out for a walk but of course to her now knowing how she felt having been a mother myself and it just felt like such a pleasure to to do that for her and I cooked her some poached eggs for lunch and she was like oh my gosh this is the best day ever um and so I think I thought yeah I yeah this I I can do this yeah I'm so I'm so maternal I'm so caring there had never been a question for me at all in my life as well that I wanted children. I'd never been ambivalent about it. I always knew I wanted children as did my, my partner, my husband. And so my experience with my niece and it really fed in, I think a little bit to how I imagined I would be as a mother. Fantasy. Absolutely. And the expectations. Um, I didn't. I didn't attach myself, I don't remember consciously really thinking to myself yeah i'm i'm going to be I'm going to be this maternal mother. It came or well, the expectation the realization of the expectation I held of myself came when I wasn't living up to it when sort of like Oh, okay, it's not like this at all, um yeah, so Uh, certainly becoming more i realized i was more intolerant more impatient and actually a bit more controlling than i i had imagined i really didn't think i was but a desire to control some things that really has come to the fore for me so i think it's put very simply confronting my shadow the shadow
2: side of me has been quite difficult yeah and um I think I'd love to hear more about that, but tell us. So you got an eight year old and a four year old. And, um, did you, um, did some of this confronting the shadow happen quite early on? How was your postpartum time?
1: Yeah. So my postpartum time, it's really interesting with my first, she came a little bit earlier than expected and. Uh, boy, she put me through it, you know, with her entry into to the world. Um, yeah, it's always such a shock, isn't it? It's such a shock. Uh, it just so happened that my husband, uh, he was working from home on the day that I ended up going into hospital. And I was supposed to be going for a final scan that day. I was under consultant care with both of my pregnancies because of um, some of my medical history and uh, so i had more scans built into my antenatal care so i was going for a scan and he was going to come with me and i remember going to marks and fences and suddenly felt this sort of gushing this speaking oh that's odd by the time we got to the hospital you know i had i had fluids just coming out of me involuntarily but no contractions and um i remember walking, and and i said we're not doing the scan Uh, go and see the consultant. They took my blood pressure. My blood pressure was sky high. And they said, you need to go straight to the hospital now. And that was that. So what started out as a normal day with me going to Marks and Spencer's, I was suddenly being carted off to the hospital. And I remember bent double over walking through this maternity wing, holding my crotch to try and hold the flow. Yeah. Hold the flow. Going, oh my God. And the consultant, she was so lovely. She put her hand on my shoulder. She said, please, she said, don't worry, this is maternity almost as if it's sort of this is the first of many uh, undignified moments this is this is how it is from here onwards welcome um yes and so she so my first gave me a difficult it was a difficult start because then I had suspected preeclampsia and complications afterwards which meant I had to be whisked off to theatre not long after she was born um And I, if I'm being really honest with you, Cap, I don't think I actually fully processed what happened. I just accepted that that was how it was. That's just how it was. And it wasn't until my second came along that the midwife who delivered my second was looking through my notes of my first and she said, did you speak to anyone about this? Did you? And I said, no. She said, I really think you should. I really. think there's quite a lot here that your body went through you might benefit from going to see the birth reflections team how lovely that she picks up on that it was lovely it was really nice it was almost sort of which has been the case for me in many ways actually in my motherhood journey of someone else authorizing something or saying oh I think there's something here maybe or like giving you permission yes and being a containing object for me somehow to say, no, this is important and you need to attend to this. So po- I sort of gone off on a tangent, but postpartum with my first, I didn't have that rush, that immediate rush. I was induced, and I don't know, I'd be very interested to hear more or read more about, because I haven't had the chance to about the role induction might play in, you know, how how you meet your baby immediately. Um but I didn't have that rush of love and so for a while afterwards, I thought, I must be a cold mother. I, 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 something didn't switch on for me. Something didn't ignite. Um, and you know, I think that, that carried on for a little while with how I, I wasn't enjoying certain aspects of motherhood. I, I, I breastfed both my girls, but I didn't, I didn't enjoy breastfeeding. I didn't, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't love it, but I knew I wanted to do it. And I think that filled me with some questions in in the postpartum period of where as well of "Hmm, you know are, are you are you a bit of a lukewarm mother here? And it has taken me a long time to kind of go well.
2: No, it takes time to get to know them. Massively. I'm so happy you said that because I think that that fantasy of and I think this does happen for some people that they feel a rush of love and it's all like stars and rainbows or something, but that idea that this is a relationship that it takes time to get to know and that we we have to kind of know a new version of ourselves and know a new person, this little baby that's just been born, is so relieving because um, that idea of it's all going to be like lovely and I'm going to have such profound love is so punishing. I mean, it's another like sky-high expectation up here, which we all use to kind of beat ourselves. I had a similar, well, well a, a bit different, but I was also in hospital, not for a scan, but for, actually, no, it was for a scan for like those bands around your tummy, um, to check my twins heartbeats. And I also thought I was just going in for that. And then suddenly I was trapped at the hospital and then I was induced, um, for a very long induction. And I have always felt that I wasn't quite ready. I like, I basically tried to force them to let me leave so I could go and have. I wanted to go out for dinner and go to a movie with my husband, and then I was like, "I'll come back tomorrow." And they were basically like, "They wouldn't let me." And then if they were going to let me, they said um, they will make me sign some like indemnity papers. And I was like, "Oh, I'll never forgive myself if I do leave, and and I've done something like that. will be like uh, just it'll be unlivable." So I stayed, but I don't know that like pulling back and going forward, like that thing of not being ready. Is so sort of profound. It absolutely
1: is, and I think that's that's absolutely right. That I wasn't ready, and yet suddenly something happened that was completely beyond my control. And I was thought I was going home with my Marks and Spencer shopping, you know, and I bought croissants I think to be enjoyed, but no, I didn't get to enjoy them. I said I had to go and park up at hospital for a whole week. And I had to sit for a couple of days with just this fluid coming out of me, but nothing happening. And so it was a real sort of something's happening and then it's not. And yeah, not being ready and suddenly that interruption when you don't expect it. And that's such a rupture,
2: I think, with ourselves in a way, or just with motherhood generally in a way.
1: Yeah, well and that's exactly what I was that's what happened to my body. That's what it was called spontaneous rupture of membranes and I was like, yeah, it couldn't be more spot on. Spontaneous rupture. Absolutely. And it I I just didn't really fully process it. I just accepted that this is this is just what happened. It's what happened. And that's why I think it was such a what's the word? Um a realization or a, a a relief even to start thinking about the perinatal period and perinatal psychology. And so many mums I've spoken to go had no idea, had no idea about how important these things that happen around our birth are. And I was one of those people. I just thought birth was something that happened, just something you, you, you do, you happen,
2: you have your baby, life goes on. Oh God, no, not like that at all. I mean, cause I think that it colors everything that is to come i mean this emerging field of pre and peri- like pre and perinatal psychology which talks about i think it's ray castellino his body of work i don't know if you know him i think he's american and he's also dead i think Well, he is but he talks about how there's four stages um to any birth that if we then struggle in our life so much of it can be taken back to our birth imprint and what happened to us actually, as we journeyed on our own birth, and I find that fascinating. As you can hear, I don't know that much about it at the moment, but I think it's fascinating.
1: It is fascinating, and I don't. And it's rarely taken up as something to be considered significant. I mean, even in in therapy, when I'm practicing in therapy, and you inquire about childhood, sometimes people rarely put well, you know, much importance on their childhood. They can't remember, and. Oh yes, it was fine. So, if even childhood isn't given that much importance, like your the actual birth and how you came into this world is going to be given less importance because it's just something that happened. Much like people think their childhood is just something that happened.
2: I spend a lot of time investigating that, actually, and I've increasingly talked about birth as well because I notice, particularly with prematurity and stays in NICU, how fundamentally that impacts but now we're taking ourselves off how you've grown yourself up in motherhood (laughs) (laughs) how i've grown myself up so did you then process did you go back and process your daughter your first daughter's birth after the birth of your second daughter so i did i well i i
1: went to the birth reflections team which is what the midwife essentially suggested i do and I was a little disappointed, I guess, because what essentially happened was a, more of a rundown of the medical stages of what happened. You know, I was given sort of the facts and figures of how high my blood pressure really was. And when I, when I was given antibiotics and the woman person sat opposite me, I can't remember what profession she was, but. You can't believe that I didn't get a yeast infection with the number of antibiotics I was given and what I went through. And this is what happened at this time. And so at this point, your husband would have been with your daughter. And it was, it was just sort of a rundown. Um, so it, it didn't give much room. So not much holding. No, and not much given to the psychology of the experience. So again, it's sort of, I came away thinking a little bit, oh, okay. So maybe there was nothing to, to make of it but it's been my own reading it's been my own reflecting it's been my own therapy it's been my own um motivation to look into trainings um that has I guess crystallized some of the things for me um so maybe that's an example of how I've grown myself up in a way I've sort of gone right I need to make sense of this and I need to find a way to do this for myself um, rather than just thinking, accepting blindly that this is just something that happened.
2: Yeah, because it strikes me that there's so much self-advocacy in really understanding the impact of something on us. And, um, you know, that kind of idea of just replaying something, that's not, that doesn't help you understand what happened and why and the huge impact that that midwife said it, you know, talked about on your body. But it's, it's so complex often. Because of the things about motherhood that we say so many people go through this, so many people have had this experience before. Um, I'm lucky to have a healthy baby. All of those some of the combination of the platitudes and the weight of cultural expectations mean that sometimes we don't think that like our stuff is like special enough or or, or traumatic enough or something. And really all of our stories need processing and holding and loving and support and absolutely.
1: I, I really, really believe that. I guess that's been a slight pain point that I didn't honor that for myself. I guess I didn't know how also because of exactly as you say that, you know, you get home, you're discharged from the hospital and, you know, you're given what's what, all your medications, because I came home with an arsenal of medications, that, you know, and injections that my ha- husband had to administer. And you just feel this compulsion i guess which is coming from yourself but also the outside world to just crack on you've got to get on um and of course baby is demanding you somewhat to get on as well and um, that little room is really given to going what just happened there i had a moment i remember where i because i wasn't allowed to leave the hospital for five days after my daughter was born but I remember I went and stood on the balcony of the hospital wing and I just felt incredibly tearful for a moment. But again, just never really paid attention to what what those feelings were. Yeah, it's it's remarkable in a way being a psychologist as well and not having attended to to what I went through. Um only doing it now very uh doing it later on. And doing it after the birth of my second. And I think also the birth of my second and having had a very different experience with her also made me go, gosh, that was different. because you didn't know how it could be. No, no. And you don't. And that's, and that's so much of this is that you just don't know really
2: how it's going to be. And I think there's such a loss. We have such a loss in our society generally around ritual. So, you know, a ritual. That, or just like holding time of older women in our lives, or or women in the community, or people in our own family who would kind of hold us and help us through that, and um, and mark um, the time, or um, come and listen to our stories for forty days, or cook for us for forty days. I mean, I know in some cultures it's brilliant, but in our kind of Western culture, it's lacking.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I I had. I had the holding in terms of uh, I had both my mum and my mother in law come and they supply food and my mother in law would come and clean my bathroom you know things like that so I had they would ease the practical load but in terms of storytelling mm-hmm, there wasn't really a place for that and there's such a richness in that and t- tell us your story and I think that's why I, I I love things like this is having these sorts of conversations um. Because I wasn't having the conversation with myself or really anyone else, and it is only then when you speak the words that you go, "Oh yeah that that really did mean something that and i I still can't quite believe what my body did go through, and I think even that has been quite wonderful to have quite an admiration actually for myself
2: um for what I did go through, and what I lived through, what I survived, yeah. And I think that, you know, in the immediate aftermath, often I think we do have to dissociate, or even when it's happening, as a way to protect ourselves because otherwise it's too it's too much to take in. But that um, the gentle coming back from dissociation or, or having storytelling that just allows us to be as we are and not to have to neaten up the stories or to, to shush ourselves with platitudes or with, oh, yes, I survived and my baby survived, you know, like really getting into the nitty-gritty of all of the things that happen. I wish there was, I know we've talked about this about on Instagram, but I wish there was something that was provided for all mums for that.
1: What a, I was going to say a luxury. I don't know if it would be even a, necessarily a luxury, but what a necessity. What a necessity. I do wonder what could be prevented, what could be soothed if mother's parents
2: had that opportunity every single one of them. I know because I think there's so much there's often a lot of focus paid to diagnosis if you get a diagnosis of some kind but for everyone motherhood is a huge shift and I think everyone needs some holding you know that it shouldn't be um, like restricted to a certain group in my view. Absolutely not. Well we could talk about this all day Anna but I want to hear back to your telling us how you kind of made friends with your shadow because I think a lot of um, people who are listening will enjoy hearing that like how did you kind of that process of growing yourself up and like for example allowing your anger allowing your intolerance not expecting yourself to be you know tolerant and joyful all the time how has that moved through you or how have you moved through that
1: I mean it's still very much moving through me um I mean, and this is partly why I am now so interested in helping mothers and, and teaching them about anger in motherhood and normalizing it because it's a, it's, you know, reflexively, it's something I'm working through myself. And I don't know that me and my shadow are necessarily quite friends at the moment, but I'm, I'm letting the shadow knock at my door and I'm letting it, I'm inviting it in a little bit more. Oh gosh. How have I made friends with or how how are we living together? I guess there's been some reflection on my own history and how anger was demonstrated in my own family home. And it was absolutely shown in some ways. And I know from my own family that the anger communicated a need uh, and an unmet need, certainly in my own mother, and unprocessed, unresolved things. And so I think that reflection has helped me enormously in thinking well my my anger is speaking something it is speaking something to me that i need to really really listen to rather than turn away from it what is this anger actually saying um and that's been a huge turning point because anger and and the darker the darker side shall we say the darker emotions are are so easily marked up as ones that are to be done away with to be rid of oh it's wrong to feel that i feel guilty if i feel that um but that didn't stop these emotions from coming they just kept coming and they kept persisting even stronger um and so what what is this anger actually saying to me um and i think also what has been massively helpful is just my love for psychoanalysis and psychoanalytic thought because it's something that i taught for 10 years and that's my mode of practicing because it makes such a home for for these kinds of emotions it 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 talks about the hatred and you know the deathliness of being a human and that was such a comfort to me so i holding that in my mind also was was such a savior if you like that i knew that, that it was written about it's talked about so you know this is this has got a be allowed so lots of people are feeling this too absolutely absolutely um so i think it was just rather than turning away from the anger going right what is this about and why is my child getting me so angry why is you know when she um talks back at me why do i get so infuriated you know when she's in the park and she asserts herself to that child why am i getting you know irritated and wanting to shut that down in her you know, so it's really I think turning towards yourself in a in a way that pre pre children again, I could just say oh i don't I don't need to attend to that, I don't need to turn like I was saying earlier, but because my children are such mirrors to me um and showing me things about myself, I think I really need to listen to this um so it's
2: unpacking what it's communicating, yeah, and I think. Letting our children have the ability to protest, possibly in ways that we were never allowed to protest, is so important, and it invites us into really, um, kind of protesting on behalf of ourselves, and as well, you know, kind of sitting up and taking our space and saying no, like I'm not going to have that happen or whatever.
1: It's a really hard thing to master to make room for things or do things differently uh to how how you were permitted my husband gave me this really lovely example uh just recently he was in the park with our two girls and my husband is a very very conscientious man he's very well mannered very polite which is a blessing but it's also a curse for him and he was in the park and he was telling me that uh, our girls were walking along this sort of balance rope thing Uh, making their way along a sort of tightrope thing and a child started coming from the other end so the our girls and this other child were going to meet in the middle and so his instinct he went to say oh girls right off you come off you come and let this this child go past and he was like why the bloody hell did I do that why am I making our girls come off to let this person he's like that's just just me totally projecting how I feel I've been raised you know be conscious let others go Put yourself second. He's like, I, it was such a moment for me. And he said, I'm really going to be working so hard now when we're in the park. If that happens, he said, I'm just not going to do anything. And it's such a hard thing to master.
2: It is. I love that example. Because I think I really want the listeners to listen to this because That's so true because right there is how we model codependence. If we continue to say, put the other people first, put the other people first. But for his own comfort, it probably felt like imperative that he somehow demonstrate niceness. And um, I love the kind of the absolute detail of the example because it's in the minutiae that we really change things. Yeah, exactly. That's such a wonderful story.
1: Exactly. And I think also it being in a public space, he was saying he was very aware of other parents being around and he'd say, you know, I didn't see any other parents rushing forward to say to that child, come off the rope, let these girls go past. He was like, so why am I doing it? Yeah, exactly. And why shouldn't they be there first? It's a really hard thing to master. And one of the things that I have really come to learn since becoming a mother is that time and my possessions really are not my own anymore in a way they once were. Um, and I find it incredibly triggering sometimes you know when my my brand new var, uh, pot plant pot that i got for my birthday which i absolutely love has got pencil marks on it already which of course can be rubbed out but in that moment it's like a what an invasion what an invasion and an intrusion and that is something i vehemently felt uh, i know that since becoming a mother that i'd realized since becoming a mother just how much i loved being on my own i mean it took me to have children to make me go oh so i really miss being on my own which i don't think is that uncommon but, um, it makes me think if I could draw a parallel, do you know the film, A League of Their Own, the baseball, the women, American Women's Baseball League film with Tom Hanks? I do know the film. I'm not sure that I could, but, but carry on. But there's, there's a, there's a one player called Evelyn on the, on the team and she's a bit clumsy and she throws the ball in a really haphazard way to the detriment of the team. And Tom Hanks is the coach and he, he's infuriated by this woman who who just can't seem to throw the ball in the way that is, is to for the success of the team. And one day he really goes at her. He screams and shouts at her. She's in floods of tears. And he then gets really angry that she's in floods of tears. So he then gets thrown out. Anyway, the subsequent time it happens, she throws the ball again and just throws it in completely the wrong direction. She comes off the pitch. And he calls her over and he goes, Evelyn, over here. And he's, he's shaking with this sort of infuriation of like, you know, and she's sort of go waiting for the onslaught of anger and he, he's shaking and he just says, still missing the point. Maybe we can work on that next season. And she's sort of going, Oh, oh, yes. Thank you, Mr. Dugan. And off she runs and he's, he's shaking with through these gritted teeth and then he's, and then he's able to breathe. And I feel like sometimes that's it for me when I see these marks on my possessions or the carpet has got another stain on it or mud on the cup and I just hear the brace
2: against the anger.
1: Yes. it's And it's so hard, these inbuilt sort of, you
2: know, reactions to things to overcome. I think you're really right about that. There's something I always say to clients. Well, there's two things I want to say to you about that. I think when we've been intruded upon as children, we find it the intrusion very difficult when we haven't had our own space to just be as we are. And I think that um I often say to my clients that motherhood is like, um, you're the tree and the children are the woodpeckers. And they're, you know, constantly like pecking and they don't stop at the boundary of the tree because that's <laughs> their job to kind of interject it. Into- and so it is so much of that, like how do we keep ourselves as like a sturdy tree instead of like screaming it, you know, because it is really like that. Sometimes That like really like containing the rage. And when we start to make friends with our rage or anger, the initial stages of it are really, again, it's that choice in the minutiae that you might be absolutely full with rage, but you have that tiny bit of frontal cortex capacity, which says, Hey, not going to help that much if I like totally lose my shit. So I'm just going to like have a deep breath or something. But it's so costly on our body. I mean, it's just so costly. It's so costly. It's
1: really costly. And, um, I think what I've had to do as well is, you know, do some of that downward arrow of why, why are you so angry though about this, this mark here? What does it actually mean? Oh, well, it means they don't care about my possessions. And then what are they supposed to care about your possessions? Well, no, you know, and just trying to unpack it, unpack it. Yeah, it's really helpful that. Yes, to actually get to the root of really, what is this about? And again, that, that has shone a light on some of the expectations that I think I've had of my children as well. And that has been a great learning for me, realizing that the tall order of expectations that I think I've held for my girls. Me and my husband were absolutely tormented earlier on by my eldest's toileting habits. So she got through toilet training really quite remarkably easy. And around about the time her sibling was arriving, she started to regress with allowing her pants just to get wet and not getting to the toilet on time. And, you know, I'm sure at the time it felt absolutely hellish. We laugh about it now. But we were talking to her about how she needed to get to the toilet and, you know, the wet pants was was not a good idea. But we, we only saw the symptom. We weren't seeing the full picture. And I remember speaking to the health visitor and I said, what do I do about this? And, and she, again, very practically said, make it into a chore for her so it gets boring for her. So she's got wet pants. She has to be the one to go and put the wet pants in her laundry basket or get in some new pants, change herself. So we tried that. And my daughter started hiding her wet pants under my husband's pillow in his wardrobe. She's saying see me, isn't she? When you are just so consumed by an expectation of what they should be doing, you don't actually see yes, what as as you said, see me, uh smell me, I'm still here, you know, kind of thing. Isn't that powerful? Very powerful. Very powerful. And again, I think that's been a a huge learning is actually thinking and mentalizing you know mentalizing what is going on for you right now what what's going on in your life not seeing the symptom as i say or the behavior in isolation it's not there in a vacuum but what's going on for her holistically here it's
2: so easy to miss that so easy to miss that yeah i think um that's such a beautiful reflection because especially around the birth of the second child, that kind of being knocked off the perch of being like the kind of the honored first baby and everything. Um, and um, specifically around things like training and going to the loo and everything, it can be so, um, there's so much wrapped up into that, like on so many different levels. Um, and um, yeah, how tender. Oh, so I
1: think, I think my, uh, my husband and I, we talk a lot and we talked to talk to now all these different tactics until um I think we were trying to control her too much. And I think that's much of what was going on. There was another sibling, it was, she was about to have a, a sibling which she couldn't control. And we just took our foot off and we said, actually, you know, she's wetting her pants. So what, at the end of the day? And we just sort of let her do what she felt she needed to do. Uh, and we didn't. Make a big deal out of it. Um, I think this being honest, this is what we did at the time. It's only sort of in hindsight that you go, well, maybe it was that as well. But we just took our foot off the control pedal, if you like, and just thought what, well, maybe she's just letting us know something and maybe she just needs to do this. And, uh, she knows, she knows what to do. We know she's toilet trained and maybe we just need to have a bit of an open mind here and. And see what happens. And remarkably, she, she did actually stop once we stopped interfering. And so I think it was, you know, the intrusion of another sibling and then the
2: intrusion of us trying to get in there and control. And then she had to intrude back to sort of say, see me, give me attention. It's so be- I think children are so amazing the way they do that. Our children intrude into our bed. And I think that there's something, I mean, a lot. And I think that there's something around that. But I think the Lou thing is specifically, such a big thing. And I'm going to share a story about my own control. Cause I think that like letting go of control, I think is one of the biggest ways that we grow ourselves up to really hold on to that idea that our children are their own people and that they kind of, they come through us, but we don't like when they're not our possessions, basically. <laughs> um, and we with, with going to the loo, um, I was always like, have you washed your hands? Cause I'm very pedantic about that sort of stuff about like, um, very like precise and precision and kind of cleanliness and everything. And um and as they got more and more to doing all the wiping by themselves and, you know, engaging with everything by themselves, I'd always be they often actually wanted me to still wipe them because they didn't want to wash their hands. So it was it was better for me to wipe and then me to wash my hands so they didn't have to engage with washing your hands. And then I really had to push back on that and say, no, you're really um, you know, you're brilliant at wiping, you do it. And their hand washing is very kind of cursory and i really had to do exactly what you said with the downward arrow thing about like why did this bother me Wash is the worst outcome what it's much worse for me to be constantly saying have you washed your hands um and and like checking up on them then basically where i got to was the absolute worst thing here is that there might be we all over the house because they put their little we filled hat i mean they're not exactly we filled but they, you know there might be a drip here or there but that's that's the fantasy isn't it we filled hands. yeah exactly that. Yeah. so i had to just think okay so that's the absolute worst thing that can happen there might be a bit of we somewhere because they haven't then we also settled on just rinsing so on no soap and um for me and i mean as i say this to you it sort of sounds ridiculous but because of my own, the way the cleanliness and control kept me safe as a child, it felt like imperative that they have those sort of standards. But actually, it's like none of my business. Like they might be people who only want to bath once a week. And that's also none of my business. Absolutely. I really have to kind of get to that place of like, I love you so deeply and I care for you, but you are you're over there. You're totally separate to me.
1: I love that. I absolutely love that. And I could, it's, it's, it's so hard because you're absolutely right. And I, I love what Lisa Marciano writes. She said, our children do not belong to us. And I think that's as you're saying that, you know, yes, they pass through us or they come to us in, in whichever way they come to us, but they are their own beings. They have their own minds and. We exactly the same with the cleanliness. No, you've got to wash your hands. If you don't wash your hands and you've got poo under your fingernails, then you're going to get worms and then you will all have worms and we'll all have to take the medicine. And oh, what a, you know, you, you, your mind runs away. And so you think, right, I need to control this. And if you dig a bit deeper, you realize that it ties into you know, the message, the narrative or an experience that you had when you were younger and how you're trying to prevent that from happening all over again. But actually, it's just causing a whole fresh
2: load of suffering or, or, or of, of difficulty. I think that it's so much, the anxiety is so, um, it's so much robust of being in the present and the, that thing about trying to, cause when I really bottom it out, it's the idea that I won't be able to cope. And that's because I couldn't cope in childhood. And the thing is, when you played through that thing about, we'll I have to have the worm medication, we'll do the, The thing is, even if all of those steps do happen, we will cope. Even if we all have to have the worm medication, but we don't. We like we our our little selves just drive so much of that anxiety. So much tenderness is required in motherhood, isn't there? For ourselves, I mean,
1: it really is. It really so much tenderness and a whole reframing of what does it actually matter if this happens? As you say, we'll survive. We so we'll take the bloody medication. And, and we'll, we'll live to tell the tale. I wonder if it's about, you know, picking up on this word that you use, just trying to prevent more intrusions of worm medicine. (laughs) You know, I don't want that intrusion or I don't want the intrusion of we on my carpets or, and I don't want any more intrusions. But again, I wonder if it's a reframing of, well, is this actually an intrusion?
2: In what way is it really going to impact? And also I think it's that idea that as children, and I mean, i don't know your childhood story, but I know that there were intrusions in ways that I had no control over, and for many people um, this thing and even the intrusion of how we should behave, how we should act with other relative how who we should put first, how we should tend to our parents' feelings all of that was too much. it intruded on our child-like coping strategies, and so I think in many ways it's about actually. The, the solidifying of our sense of self and our boundaries so that the intrusions, they don't come in, in a way. You know, we, we kind of get to keep what out, what we need to keep out, but it feels like because of our porous boundaries and our kind of shaky sense of self that um everything needs to be kept at arm's length. And I think the resilience actually really comes in kind of growing our ability to know that we can keep the intrusions out.
1: Yes. I mean, this is a huge story in my history and it's one I don't really sort of talk about all that much. And I, I often reflect on why, but thinking about what you were saying about intrusions and things we couldn't control in our childhood. So I was very, very unwell as a young child. Uh, when I was 18 months old, um, I had cancer. Oh, bless you. And I'm so sorry. It's something that I have no memory of what a huge intrusion indeed i i have a big scar across my my tummy which also has been an intrusion for me Uh, it felt like that for me up until my early 20s i would say and it's been such a bizarre Story to hold in myself because it's something really serious that happened to me, but I have no memory of it. Um, I've been told the story by family members, so I know the factual elements of it, but I certainly have memories of having to go for my annual checkups to London for, to go to the hospital that essentially saved my life to have checkups. Um, And I hated these checkups. I really hated going for these checkups. They felt, they really, I can say now I couldn't conceptualize this as a child, but they were such an intrusion. You know, having these doctors sort of want to assess my body and, you know, and it took a whole day out of school and I really resented it. And I remember. I one day let that resentment show to my mother and my mum got really quite cross with me expressing that resentment because, and I can put myself in her shoes now because I can only imagine what she lived through with what happened. She was so grateful you were there. Exactly. She was like, this is important. No, we have to do this for me. I, I, you know, in my adolescence, I didn't want to go and, and, Have people prod my body and look at my body at that time, but for her, you know, when I got cross about it, she was like, "Goodness sake," sort of thing. And I can only now, can you know, think about that, what it was like from her perspective, being a mother myself, being older, being more grateful for my life, but the intrusions, and so I do often think that given the intrusion I had in my life from such a young age, and I wonder if my my body will remember that in some form if that's also why I'm so as a mother myself when the intrusions come I'm like this is not on my watch not on my terms
2: I don't like it oh that's so huge I mean would a um thank you for sharing that with us that's a that's a, such a massive thing for your tiny body to have been through and like thinking about what your body would remember in terms of um intrusions like no wonder the pencil marks on the art pot feel, you know what I mean? Because it's so, everything just comes straight into the present moment in that way.
1: It does. It does. And again, uh, you know, I think it's so important that we, you know, if it does irritate us, whatever it is that we get irritated by, there's, there's a root to it. Big, small, medium, whatever. And this is what I mean about how... I'm trying to get to know my anger and my shadow is by listening to it. And it's a very uncomfortable thing to do. I, you know, I'm not speaking it as if it's easy because it's really not. But these moments of when you fly off the handle, yeah, the cup of juice spills somewhere. Or yes, there's a mark on your brand new sofa. Of course it's irritating, but the temperature of your reaction, you know, will always be telling you something. And we all too readily just brush it off or punish ourselves for it. I feel guilty that I did that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Well, you did. And maybe there's a reason that you did. Yeah. And maybe we can think about that. And I think that's the most
2: gentle sort of way because we really have to cultivate that relationship with ourselves because we're only with our therapist maybe one or two hours a week. And so much of this is us spending time outside, being reflective on our own process, and, and most of all, give me ourselves that portal of self compassion, so that we can actually do what you're saying. Because when something is so uncomfortable, that tendency to just shut it down and push it away and forget about it is so much easier. But actually looking at, like, oh, I flew into a rage because actually I was like starving and I was frustrated about that, and da 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 da. Because then we can actually meet those needs and and soothe ourselves and. Like I guess I want to say for the listeners, not what you shared with us is a really huge part of history, but there will be other versions of that for everyone who's listening in some different shape or form, and that thing about um what you said a lot about on social media and and also the title of that Bruce Perry and um uh, Oprah book about what happened to you is so much we all have something about what happened to us. And that contributes to, to, to how we make sense of our stories, like in such a huge way. And also with the tenderness.
1: With the tenderness, yes. We too often just go, "Oh, it just—it just—it's just something that happened to me. It's just something that happened." Yes, it did. But you know, could that have had an impact? Has that had an impact? What was that like for you? It—it it just gets. Written down in words, it's a chapter of our life and, and and the end the end. that's just what happened. It's so important that we attend to
2: attend to these things. thank you for sharing with us. that's very very and um, that's touched me deeply and I feel you uh, in terms of the way we we came to that about the intrusions um that was kind of completely organic, but it was what a like what a beautiful example you've given to everyone actually of how um things really come up from each of our own histories and link directly to what's going on for us in our motherhood experience so thank you
1: absolutely and i do think motherhood is such a time where where these intrusions these ghosts from our nursery whatever we want to call them really do make an appearance and they can take you by surprise but don't don't be in a fury to try and bury them actually maybe they need to be uh,
2: welcomed with tenderness, as you say, look at the sort of the richness of our own stories. Now, I'm conscious of the time, Anna. Before we end, is there anything else you'd like to say about what you think is sort of really important in terms of growing ourselves up, or what's been important for you? Anything else? Like last pearl of wisdom?
1: Yes, last pearl of wisdom. Oh gosh, I think just for me, what I would pull on the, the the word sanity that I know you sort of you wrote to me about. Um, how to stay sane in motherhood, um, which I do think is linked to sort of growing up and looking after yourself because that's essentially what growing something up or growing something is about is nurturing it. And I, I think it relates to something I do for myself and something I really try to cultivate in the mothers that I work with and that I speak to is just the importance of looking after you. And that is such a, again, a broad statement. But I know that I feel so much better when I have invested time in myself. And and something for me, I I really something that resonated in one of your earlier podcasts with Tamu. I think she said, I I think you referenced exquisite rest. Is it something like that?
2: Yeah, she said that. Yeah.
1: Yes. And for me, I think that's it. I think it's about mothers and all of us needing to find what our version of exquisite rest is in motherhood. I love be having time on my own. It's such a, a, a salvation for me, as it were, to, to take time out where I'm not a mother, where I can spend a few hours on my allotment or my husband takes the girls off somewhere and I'm just in the house on my own, or I can go to the cinema on my own. To not deny yourself these moments of exquisite rest because they are so important. Um, you know, just, to, as Winnicott said, there's no such thing as a baby. There is the baby. There is the child and, and you. you, you, you have to be well for your, for your child, for your family to thrive. And that has been a huge growing up for me is finding these moments of exquisite rest. Um, and not, not feeling guilty about it at all because I know I'm the better mother for it. It ripples out into my mothering. It ripples out into my family. So again, authorizing myself to go, no, I I'm damn well taking this time. I need this time. And I need to model that for my girls. That that I exist outside of motherhood. I have interests outside of motherhood. Um and I need to hold myself accountable to to invest in those. Um and I think mothers the often that I work with again just sacrifice
2: themselves far too much or they feel guilty for doing that. No, we need to erase. I mean, mum guilt is just, it's a lie, basically. I have to have another podcast on on that. Thank you so much. That's, yes, I think we are singing from the same song sheet because our needs are everything, basically. Like really tending to ourselves and, and noticing that we're important enough to do that. Like what you talk about, about authorizing. So important. Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Anna. It was really wonderful to hear some of your story and thank you for all the truth and
0: wisdom you shared with us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic and resilient living.